Hang on. Hang on. Halt. Welcome to This Might Be A Podcast. Now, before this episode starts, uh, I've got some big news related to the podcast. On this episode, you're going to hear a cover of John Postal that has long been in the works for the Purple Pansies, a.k.a. Averin Keating and myself. And on this track, guesting uh, is Dana Williamson. Now, this track is the first thing you're going to hear from an upcoming compilation, another charity compilation uh, that is in the works for This Might Be a Podcast and Friends. To go along with this charity compilation, um, which will benefit the Sandy Hook promise to fight gun violence in schools, I have created a uh, company. It's called This Might Be an LLC. And yes, it is a real thing paperwork and all we are going legit i've got a little statement to read about the launch of this might be an llc and it goes as such tmb llc's mission this might be an llc provides financial support and awareness for causes through our shared love and celebration of music of they might be giants this might be an llc aims to create a better world through organizing tribute music and the collective energy of the they might be giants fandom a portion of all proceeds of any cover album goes to support not-for-profit groups and other causes working against the forces of racism sexism gun violence health disparities and other forms of oppression in the united states about this might be an llc this might be an LLC started when Greg Simpson, a teacher in elementary school and a podcaster, raised money for one of his young students diagnosed with brain cancer. Using his podcast, This Might Be a Podcast, Greg found talented musicians throughout the They Might Be Giants fan base who donated their time and collaborated on a cover album called Purple Toupee. Funds from Purple Toupee sales raised close to $6,000 to help cover his students' medical fees. Inspired by the overwhelming support of goodwill and love for music in the TMBG fanbase, Greg has taken that momentum and organized and contributed to another cover album called Covers by Order. The latest covers album went to support the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. The latest TMB LLC tribute project, still yet to be named, will donate proceeds to the Sandy Hook Promise. The Sandy Hook Promise is a national nonprofit organization founded and led by several family members whose loved ones were killed at the Sandy Hook Elementary School on December 14, 2012. Their mission is to educate and empower youth and adults to prevent violence in schools, homes, and communities. Alrighty, so that's the, the official press release uh, written by Avon Keating and looked over by Ben Bird, who are part of the board of this might be an llc that's right it's not just gonna be me 
overseeing all of this stuff. This is a huge job, and um, I'm happy to have their help. So uh, me, alongside with Averin and Ben, uh, will be steering the ship of this compilation. Uh, and I'm happy to say we already have a ton of people involved uh, with this compilation. This compilation will be out some point in July, and we already have some pretty cool people signed up to submit tracks. We've got Adam Gorn, aka Adam and his package, I'm collaborating with again to appear on this comp. We've got Jonathan Feinberg, the first drummer of They Might Be Giants, uh, who will be collaborating with me and John Walker to do a song. We've got Cornmo has signed up again. We've got a couple other uh, Asian man band Sarcasm will be participating. Now you've actually already heard a song from this comp on the podcast, but just didn't know it yet. The Piece of Dirt cover by Romanesque featuring uh, Pat Ford of Colossal. And we've got a whole lot more uh, big names yet to be announced. Uh, and of course, this will also include my bands, Outdoor Valor, Doppelpopolis, and many friends from the community uh, you have heard many times over on the podcast, like Noah Daniel, My Ultimate, Carmen Sparkles, Jesse Cat, aka Carrie Hearn, The Skeletones will be appearing again, Mike Buffington, Kai Pfeiffer, Contrary to Popular Belief, OK Glass, Adam Rivera, Guest Host, TV's Kyle. There's a ton. Okay, so there's there's a lot more coming. So we've got um, 50 people signed up so far, and this will be another digital compilation that will also be on a double CD. It's going to be the works, just like Purple Bay, and I'm hoping to raise even more money this time to fight gun violence in schools. So feel free to hit me up at thismightbeapod at gmail if you have any questions about this might be an LLC or the compilation, and there will be much more info to come uh, as we get closer to the release date. I'm planning to have a pre-orders page up uh, within the next few weeks, so look out for that. All right, on with the episode. Let's just do ASMR turtle sounds of Greg's this is, studio. This is the turtle sounds of North America. And here's what I imagine a turtle would sound like if I ever had heard what a turtle actually sounds like. That's not it. I mean, what do, do turtles... Like kind of croak. Do they kind of croak like they a make, frog a little? Unfortunately, the only sound uh, I've heard a turtle make is this weird <laughs> when it is having sex with a a clog. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, as in a shoe? Yeah. What? <laughs> Someone's pet turtle is making love to their shoe. Yeah. And like there's videos of it because it's funny. Um, mm. And also turtle dicks. Speaking of weird nature. Oh, no. Horrific. Turtle dicks. Turtle dicks. Turtle Absolutely dicks. horrific. It's like a long purple. It's almost as long as they are. And it's like a pancake what? head. It's what? Like, it, like, it's fucking wild. Flat, flat old dick. It's weird. It's very weird. That's bizarre. Nature's bad. Okay. <laughs> nature's bad. <laughs> Let me just say, nature's, nature's bad and there is no God. Uh, welcome to This Might Be a Podcast. <laughs> I'm keeping all that. 
Oh, uh, no. We're not talking about that track. I mean, I don't know if anyone signed up for that. I could see, but... Turtle uh, Dicks of North America. Yeah. <laughs> this is... The, <laughs> the, <laughs> we're in studio, if you couldn't tell, but uh, I'm your host, Greg Simpson, and I'm here with longtime friend of the pod, many, many time guest, Averin Keaton, with an apostrophe at the end, legal name... Driver's license and everything has that apostrophe. Yeah, it's, it. a, it's really a requirement. It, yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, John Postal, a.k.a. Juan Postal. We will get into that. We're talking about the escape team. You don't need my gaze because you keep your gaze hid. This for me. Fancy this specialty. This for me. Fancy that freaky you. John Postal hands on the wheel. John Postal sleeps in his John Postal lost in the beach. John Postal thinks it's a shame. John Postal pushed past the brain. John Postal maps out the screen. John Postal does not agree. John Postal buries the lead. Under recent comments Understand my words were taken out of context What up? Avery? Hey, how you doing? You're here in Indiana. Have I you am. enjoyed your time so far? In I've the had Hoosier such State? a good time. We've shown you a good time, but we've shown you the less hillbilly side of Indiana. <laughs> the blue portion of this very red state. Typically, New County has gone both ways, but it's typically a red state. It'll go blue because, like, there's a lot of working class here, and I mean, honestly, a fair amount of people of color really on the on the west side. You got a lot of Chinese families that have maybe came for college, stayed here, started a family. Mm-hmm. A lot of Indian, Pakistani. On this side, we got a lot more um, black and Hispanic folks. So it's really, this is a fairly diverse town, more than like people would think of like, oh, it's just a bunch of rednecks. I feel so like we go blue you, sometimes. You uh, you overestimate the blueness of California in general because where no, I, no, no. I where know. I grew we up, talked about it was a town called Vacaville, and it blows. It's as redneck as anything else. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I know about California because I, I mean, I'd been there a few times as a kid. I had cousins who were briefly in San Diego, San Diego. No one says it like that. I'm Ron Burgundy. No, it's just it's Anchorman. I don't know one says it like that. And, I mean, San Diego's beautiful. I mean, for one, that's also, like, the place that skateboarders will move. I mean, L.A. and anywhere south of that, honestly, I would go to San Diego because, like, you could skate any day of the year. Ideal weather for outside people. Yeah. Yeah. And any of those, yeah, Santa Barbara, Santa Cruz, these are all... Venice Beach, these are all places you, you're a Midwesterner watching skate videos. It's all California, Sorry. New York, and like Barcelona is yeah. a huge skateboarding town. Madrid was pretty damn good too. A lot of skaters in, in Spain in general. But California, I do know, and I toured there extensively in 2003. I mean, by extensively, I mean we were there for like a week of this <laughs> two and a half week tour. Yeah. But I mean, you scoff at a week, but I'm saying we covered almost the entirety of the state. Oh, I see. You know, I mean, we didn't go further north than, than Sacramento, but. 
we that's far enough we had right we had some days off to where we were actually in a town right outside of sacramento called pruneville which we thought was yeah. hilarious i'm forgetting the name of the venue but we almost got our asses kicked it was nice as a seven-piece band you know we had kind of a, a little blue bottle army but the show had been double booked which is wasn't the only time even on that tour happened in san diego too yeah there was like these street punk bands maybe three of them the manager had told us and our friend had booked it like we actually i hadn't done that's like the one tour where i didn't do everything our friend had booked it and the one person that works there said that we had the date and we had the show and another person had told these three like tough guy punk bands like they were just young kids with leather jackets on it really wasn't anything yeah but you know they acted like you know they were assholes <laughs> and so they tried to scare us out of just not playing and we we're like yeah fuck you yeah we got on stage we did our set and then they had their show after ours so it ended up being a four band bill we were the first band and we got the fuck out of there i don't think we even watched them we're like you guys are buttholes yeah you know show etiquette is you stay for all of the bands and you usually don't get paid until after the bands but you know we talked to the bartender and we're like these guys have been threatening us all night can we just get our money our part of the money now because we're gonna leave and I'm like yeah that's fine yeah yeah but so we did prunedale we did la yeah san diego and um oh we did oakland so yeah it was it was prunel oakland la san diego and then we were off to phoenix and uh texas that's pretty good coverage yeah i mean it was a lot of driving touring out west like i mean i can understand why the johns like why team g isn't playing like cheyenne you know or like omaha yeah they should be and they have but these days, as old men, you know, they're like, we got to get the most bang for our buck. We're going to play 80% of our shows in fucking New York. Yeah. You New York bastards, right? Yeah. They're like, we get, you know, it's like we we get five shows, like the aborted flood tour. It's like five out of the six shows were on the East Coast, right? Um. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was like. And they were like smaller clubs. It was which, like Daryl's house. Yeah. Uh. Williamsburg, like Music Hall. I would have killed to have seen their duo show at Williamsburg. Like, if I was on the East Coast, I mean, I've watched it on YouTube at least, but. Wait, wasn't that 2015? I thought that was an older one that they just finally released. Yeah, it was an older one. It wasn't the Flood Tour. No, no. This was like when they were doing that entire stint. It was like every month they were doing a different CD. Like, what the fuck, guys? Come on. Come on, y'all. I know. I I mean, the (laughs) podcast is to the point where. Obviously, it's a pretty serious endeavor at this point, you know. I think think, so. I think he's serious about this podcast, where I feel like I want to do a live episode in Brooklyn. Yeah. Don't you think that would go well? Don't you think people would come? Yeah. I mean, so many They Might Be Giants fans are in New York, and by proxy, there's so many podcast listeners, so many people that listen to the show in New York. I think the show's been going long enough, and I think it's established enough to to go that far outside of town. Because I've only done a live show. Don't let Star Wars in Lafayette. Birdhouse was in Chicago. I mean, we definitely would go back. Could go back to Chicago easy. Uh, a lot of listeners in Chicago. A lot of my real life friends in Chicago that can come and fill the place and not make it look totally embarrassingly empty. Uh, and then Bloomington. And I, so I've pretty much gone to. I've gone to places that I've lived. Yeah. Right. I want to do one in Cleveland. First of all, because my best Western co-host Scott, I want to do. He's been signed up for particle for Particle Man since before even the first episode launched because he knows like three they might be giant songs and that was one of them so i'm like you and i we have good rapport we have our own podcast um two you're particle man so i want to go to cleveland and play the grog shop which i don't think 
They Might Be Giants have ever played that, but it's a very notable punk venue. I've played there once. It was like a decade ago, but Scott knows people, and we can make it happen. Very cool venue, and not too big that I think... I mean, they have all the tech to make it awesome and make a recording good, but I also think doing... A venue. I should ask Ulysses and Buffington if they know, and Adam uh, Rivera, if they know a venue that would make sense. So if any of you guys are listening, I know Buffington doesn't listen to any podcasts that get off topic. Oh, yeah, so this not started this off, off topic, so. <laughs> he's, yeah, though, uh, I did, you know, he's been involved with the Jeopardy. We're going to do another Jeopardy. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, we actually, I could, I could show you some of the questions. You're not going to be on it because you were on the first one. Right. Or the answers, I suppose. I could show you the answers. We're starting to come up with the new categories and stuff like that. I won't see any of them on air because my patrons, you have to be a patron to be a contestant. Uh, AC's going to be on it. Spencer's going to be on it. I feel like there was someone else, but you got to be a patron to be eligible. If every patron ends up being on it at some point, then I'll go to the outside. But, you know, it weeds out the riffraff. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know. I don't. (laughs) I'm not saying there's like an entry fee or something. I mean, you could literally join the Patreon at the $2 level. For one month, and then you'd be eligible. And then just cancel the subscription. Right, technicality. (laughs) Game the system. Well, I did that in May last year, because I was going to, I said, I'm going to donate my money. Like, we talked about this more recently. I'm going to donate my Patreon money to Garrett. Join for a month for whatever amount you want. Consider that your donation. And then you could just book it. And so I ended up donating $550 that month because a lot of people did that. Yeah. Some people stayed on, but a lot of people just did that. Like someone come and came and I think subscribed for like $60. Hell yeah. And then, and then just jumped off. Um, I guess, yeah, live episodes got to happen again because the, they'll need to crane February 24th, 2020. So it's been two and a half years thanks to COVID, but I think it's time. So I want to do a Cleveland one and, for Particle Man, I want to do New York one, probably for Puppet Head. That would be so fun. Puppet Head. Yep. That's a very New York song. I'd say so. I mean, just those early videos are so NYC. Yeah. Repping, repping the five boroughs, mostly just two of them. <laughs> yep. Yep. Right? Yep. Uh, so the escape team, we got the, the comic... Right here. The Rotfink-esque. Yeah, so people will have heard Chip the Chip will have come out first, and we talked pretty extensively about the comic, and we talked about the Ratfink stuff and all that, so we don't necessarily need to cover that. People should listen to the Chip episode with famous comic book guy Jordan D. White, who gets noticed more for his ukulele covers out in public than for being an editor at Marvel. (laughs) Ain't that the way. For 15 years. People don't give the editors enough credit. They don't give a shit about the editors. So this As was an editor. Yeah. <laughs> this was entirely done by David Coles, who we talked about it with him. People should again, if you really want to know about Escape Team, listen to the one that he was on, which was actually for uh, not an Escape Team song, but um, for put it to the test because I wanted to talk about the Nintendo Johns, the eight bit Johns. But maybe a reason that the comic suffers because we've uh, it's kind of universally agreed upon that it's a so so comic book. Yeah. But I don't think they're going for, like, I'm assuming there's comic awards. Are there comic book awards? There's got to be. Jordan would know. I should have asked him. But it probably the fact that one guy had to do the whole thing. Yeah. Because David Coles is an artist. I mean, I'm not saying he's a bad writer, but that's not his focus. Yeah. And he would say that he's an artist, right? Animator. And the art is fantastic. The art is incredible. Yeah. 
Well, why don't we read the the panels in here? The where they introduce where they introduced Juan yeah. Postal, right? So, and yeah. then and then we can transition into talking about why Linnell, okay, <laughs> as you said, whitewashed the character or from One Postal. The Flansburg whitewashed him. This oh yeah, Flans, right? Flansburg error. Flans, yeah. I'm I'm sorry. Linnell. So what's great about this page is it also has Hairned R.I.P. Never discussed. Never mentioned outside of probably this panel. Maybe not necessarily R.I.P., but escaped so thoroughly. So so escaped, escaped. the John's Reach. <laughs> no song could be written about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. So the uh, there's a yellow narration box above Juan, who is a melty guy holding envelopes with a blue U.S. Postal Service hat, and he goes, or the the big wig of this facility that has all of the escape team in prison cells goes Peter J. Bland. Yes. Excellent name. Yes. Juan was a dedicated mail carrier in Southern California, but the leak caused his skin to react to the heat in a pretty disgusting way, melting as soon as sunlight hits it. The refrigeration in his cell at least keeps his skin attached. We yeah. call him quote Juan postal unquote. So, yeah, he's in, like, a refrigerated... And he looks like the cell. most rat finky of all the characters. Yeah. Like, his his Pink. skin is the most melty. His eyeballs are the most eyeball-y. <laughs> you know? Those are some eyeball-y eyeballs. You know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I should also mention that Abby Bash did, did Duncan. So, the, actually, the very first Escape Team episode was Abby Bash with Duncan way back, like, two months into the pod. Then Kevin Calloway did Corrupted Lyle in the fall... The fall of 2019, yeah, and then no episodes until Chip the Chip. You know, one thing about the Escape Team album that I really enjoy is Flansburg is doing his crazy vocals in this. Yeah, it gives a good reason for for weird vocals. Yeah, because like lately he's been holding back, he says mainly because it's hard on his vocal cords, which is why he doesn't do like absolutely Bill's Mood and he doesn't do Hell Hotel and all these other crazy Mm. vocal acrobatics because... He wants to preserve his vocal cords, so he just does the falsetto and his like normal range. But like with Duncan, of course, of course. <laughs> like he just we like, talked about the the residence on that episode. Yeah, he just like belts it because he knows he'll never have to do it again. Because he'll yeah. never play it live. Yeah, these poor poor songs. I know. Here's where my audience comes from. Oh wow, Australia. Yeah, I've got I've had Australian guests. I've had, you have uh, Japanese uh, listeners. That's so cool. I've got unknown listeners. Ooh. <laughs> That's unknown. the Bermuda Triangle right there. <laughs> so, but I mean, it goes from like, and and this number of downloads is way low because we just switched over. Yeah, but but the sheer difference between the United States and Canada. So five percent of my listenerships from Canada, five from United Kingdom, uh, and then it goes down to two two percent Japan. Japanese people that are listening, I have never had someone on who lives in any part of Asia. Asia's pretty big. Anyone who lives in Asia, you Japanese listeners, those 2% of you, Reach hit out. me up. Hit me up. Yep, we yep. got. And then, yeah, and then Australia, 2%. And then it dips down below 1%. That 0.4 is in Germany is uh, Noah. That Yeah, it's just Noah. It's I think just he's Noah. the only listener. <laughs> now, where's Poland? It'll it'll prove if much Kuwait listening. Yep. Belgium. Hot dog. Hot dog. Brazil. 
Poland is not on here unless he's using some weird IP uh, VPN type thing and maybe Mojek it's the unknown off the radar radar. Yeah. Or he hasn't been keeping up on the episode since we jumped to Podbean. Uh, public shaming right here. Uh, yep. Okay. Now where's the cities? Okay. So New York is pretty high up. Oh yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Texas. This is all uh, Stanley Allen. <laughs> <laughs> California. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, New York is the top. Most of my listenership is in New York, so it makes sense. That does make sense. It goes all the way from 20% down to 6.5%. So, I think a live episode in New York needs to happen. So, back to John Juan. John Juan. John Juan. John Juan. Super (laughs) postal. More postal than you know. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. His skin yeah. is real drippy. The okay, refrigerator so... must go. <laughs> cool. This is, this, <laughs> I don't know. this is the one thing that I don't understand about the escape team plot for Juan specifically, which is when he escapes, his cell was keeping his skin on. Yeah, he's in trouble. So as soon as he leaves, his skin is just going to fall off, right? Right. So imagine what, what comic number two would be. They all escape and go run amok and cause problems, but then Juan's just like, I I gotta go. I gotta I, I gotta, gotta go, go back to my back house. Back to Frigidaire. Crazy crank the AC. Will he just be like a skeleton in mm. book two? Or he'd just be muscles. Right? Yeah. He'd be yeah, not all the way down to the skeleton. Are his muscles melted? Yeah. That's a... Uh, that's something they don't discuss. No. And in the... Okay, so the music video, which we discovered is a reference to Duel, the Steven Spielberg movie, mm-hmm. TV, made-for-TV movie, he is not liquidy at all. No. We don't see him. No. I'm assuming Juan is the guy driving the mail truck instead of the guy being followed by the mail truck in the music video. Right. Yeah, so in the music video, it's it's cool because it has the... And Jordan and I talked about the like pop art style. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. So it shows briefly the guy driving the truck, which I'm assuming is Juan. His skin, fully intact. Fully intact. So he's not even radioactive Juan, and he's already fucking insane. Yeah. Or it's a case of the johns and david coles just they came up with the names together yeah they came up with the name one postal but then just worked separately like for yeah. something that was supposed to be a collaborative effort why is he not skin drippy in both right it yeah. should be well they did this with bernice too where they show yeah. like her previous life before the blast sure sure okay so yeah, maybe so it's works. something like that yeah bernice rubber yeah, okay, so this, I mean, this is most definitely a reference to Duel. So I just found this this morning. Duel, 1971, like, thriller from Spielberg, directed by Spielberg, who in his filmography, where does this fall? So 71, it was the, the very film. first full-length feature he did. Made for TV, okay, but it's through Universal, Considered by critics to be one of the greatest made-for-TV movies of all time. So he did 71 was Duel, 74, The Sugarland Express. I don't know much about I that. I have no idea what that is. And then 75 was Jaws. So okay. like his big breakout. Obviously. Jaws is Jaws. what got him all the cash for Close Encounters. So Jaws was a little bit before Close Encounters, right? Yeah. I mean, Spielberg, you know, obviously undisputed um, 
guy, a guy who undisputed who guy is undisputed guy. <laughs> it's undisputably a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> what I meant to say that he, he is a guy that has been in the industry for so long and has there's there's been there hasn't been a scandal, a Spielberg scandal, has there? No, seems to be a fairly good guy. He, well, my friends right? worked with him. Oh yeah, yeah. Spielberg, or as they just call him, Steve, Steven, was... Steven! He didn't really listen to people, you know, mm. in, in in dailies or whatever, or, or not, probably wasn't attending dailies, but he so Like would a just his way like, or the highway kind of guy? Yeah, yeah. Which I, I guess, like, if you're fucking 70 years old and a multimillionaire and everybody respects you as a filmmaker... There's nobody, Ramona. Yeah. Yeah, people aren't going to argue with Steven Spielberg because it's like, well, well, I'm me. Even if I'm famous now, Spielberg has been famous since the 70s. And he's had some accolades. Yeah, he sold some tickets. He he nuked a fridge. We'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll default to Spielberg. So Duel, yeah. I just noticed the uh, poster for Duel has the same color scheme as the music video for John Postal. Yeah, so the the character in the car being chased by the mail truck looks just like David Mann is the character um, played by Dennis Weaver. And here, see this picture on Wikipedia, is a very dashing young man in 1960. So yeah. in, in 71, uh, he was a little older, uh, 40s and had a nice mustache just like the guy in the mustache and glasses. I mean, it's straight out of this. So we, before we started recording, we watched the trailer for this, which the audio, do we want to n- narrate the trailer, which mostly tires squealing? Yeah, engines. yeah, sure. Yeah, the official trailer. So Rotten Tomatoes classic trailer has a nice pretty high deaf version. Let me turn okay, that down. So yeah, okay, got- so... Starts out immediately with a super loud engine of the semi careening down. And we have like the red zoom in letters that just say duel, duel, duel. I love the font. Yeah. Okay, you want to play games? And then he's like hitting the speedometer to 100, running away from this big rig. You don't know who's driving the big rig. Yeah, they haven't shown who's driving the big rig yet. Just screeching tires. Oh, children. Get back in the bus, children. He's worried these kids are going to get run over by the semi. Okay, yeah. so in the clip, we're going to find out a little more what this is about. There's some breaking glass of these cases. A rattlesnake gets loose. A tarantula on this dude's leg. Trying to push him into a train. This, now they're racking a the car. Semi's trying to push him onto the track. Duel, duel, duel. We don't use freeze frames enough these days. No, they've uh, the 70s and 80s killed the freeze frame, much like they killed the saxophone in pop music. Like... <laughs> well, they might be giants have made the sax very uh, they, they brought it amazing, back, but it was gone for a while. Okay, so now let's play this clip. We will actually hear some dialogue in this three minute clip on the channel Kurash Ghazi. I just looked the dual 1971 clip. Uh, so here we're actually going to hear some. He's making an emergency, a call to the police. He's gotten out, he's looking back down the road. He's at some roadside attraction with rattlesnakes and stuff. That cage cases. is called Rattlers. 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 So, now he's in a so this is what you're hearing him make. <laughs> hey, remember phone booths? My, my name is David Mann. How do you spell that? <laughs> Operator. I'd like to report a truck driver that's been endangering my life. 
He's like waving his hand right, like, yeah, I know, just... Sir, Hurry which up. department do you want? Whichever's closer. What number are you calling from? This number is 9821. <laughs> this emergency operator is just... Can you just help me, please? <laughs> oh, oh. Today, Junior. The truck All driver's right. turning Here's around. The truck. He thought he had escaped. Turns oh, around. Big Yui off the road. Big What's wide Yui. David Mann. <laughs> How do you spell it? M A N N. That's two N's. And then they ask him to spell it again. <laughs> I'd like to report a truck driver that's been endangering my life. There it is. There it is. Here it comes. <laughs> uh oh. Jumps out just in time. Phone booth is destroyed. The, the shot doesn't completely line up. All oh, this like oh. coyote chained up. Cause like in the he shot broke where, my cages. In the shot where he's in the phone booth, the truck is closer than when they shoot again outside, and like he then jumps out of the booth. He almost got bit by a rattlesnake. There goes the tarantula. So there's that scene from the trailer. Yeah. So yeah. I think we could probably stop it here. Yeah. So so that that the, the semi driver definitely killed an animal there. Whatever case he destroyed. What a jerk. I'm yeah totally. So they don't show the driver at all. Which just like in the in the John Postal, they show the yeah. It's I mean it's obviously a reference because he looks just like this David Mann character, but they do not show Juan Postal just the silhouette yeah. of Juan Postal driving. And his hands at one point. And the car. It's the same kind of car, which is... It's a real tiny guy. Whatever kind of car it is. Tiny guy. I don't know cars. Oh, here we go. Vehicles. There's a whole Wikipedia section on it. Okay, so the car driven by man is a red Plymouth Valiant, um, which... It looks cool as hell. I mean, it's a compact car by 1971 standards. Yes. Which is not that compact, but it still has that wide front end like a lot of those 70s cars And it was do. known for its excellent durability and reliability. That's good when you're being chased by, by a, a fucking maniac. big rig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Sp- Spielberg had what he called an audition, quote unquote, for the truck, wherein he nice. viewed, because the truck is treated as the villain, not the driver. Wherein he viewed a series of trucks to choose the one for the film, he selected the older 1955 Peterbilt 281 over the current flat-nosed cab over. Yeah, definitely better than the 280. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know fucking anything about cars, dude. So, (laughs) I mean, the the thing is, like, when when we picture a semi, like semis these days, the front grill is gigantic, right? And in this case, these older trucks has kind of a smaller, narrower grill, and the hood kind of flares back to the... You know, a modern semi is even more foreboding, but, I mean, I guess in the 70s, maybe they didn't look quite like that either. But So it was an old type of semi. I mean, it looks real old and rusted. It's brown. It's been through some shit. Yeah. And, I mean, we're looking at stills right now. Okay, so these two different ones, the Peterbilt 281 and the Peterbilt 351, Virtually identical, but from these shots, like the window is super dirty on the truck, and you cannot see the, the driver cab's at all. A bit skinnier on the three fifty one. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise, pretty close. Yeah, and you can see the guy's hand through the window, but it's got the kind of old fashioned kind of yeah. So the the 
old-fashioned windshield wipers in that the windshield is split in half. It's two panes, and each pane has their own little wiper. And it's just dusty. You know, they're out in the southwest. This I gotta see this movie. This looks great. I, looks I'm watching funny. this as soon as I hope there's like a leave. Mystery Science Theater 3000 of it. I would need that commentary or a riff tracks or something. Yeah, I bet they would have done it. I mean, yeah, it's a cult classic and considered one of the greatest made-for-television films ever made. The most bizarre <laughs> murder weapon ever used. Yeah, in the trailer, <laughs> right? Yeah, so like the the trailer, the trailer, the tractor trailer, or whatever you want to call it, semi, is the villain. Yeah. Right. And the weapon. So are we to the point you think we should talk about, we the, should talk about the one s- turning to John? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I I have a feeling that because the lyrics of the song are kind of going for like an incel who has kind of lost his mind and is like a creepy neighbor or just knows where everybody lives because he's a, a mailman. And is about to like kill somebody, so it feels more appropriate that it's a white guy in that respect. <laughs> yeah, like, we tend to be the shooters. Yeah, no, exactly. So it, it seems to me like that change was probably he thought it was more appropriate for the character to be a John instead of a Juan. Yeah, that's my take. That's probably why he went. You know, the song just it seemed better as a John instead of a Juan, but it's still whitewashing yeah. Juan. So. It, it, right, it is. But in a way, it's it, you're taking a role away from a fictional comic book person of color, but it's an evil person. So you're 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 taking this evil person uh, and making them a white person. So, yeah. You know, so I understand, I, right. but you know, yeah. So here's the Wikipedia entry on going postal. Right. <laughs> going postal, quote, going postal is an American English slang phrase referring to becoming extremely and uncontrollably angry, often to the point of violence and usually in a workplace environment. The expression derives from a series of incidents from 1986 onward in which uh, United States Postal Service workers shot and killed managers, fellow workers and members of the police or general public in acts of mass murder. Between 1970 and 1997, more than 40 people were killed by then current or former employees in at least 20 incidents of workplace rage. Between 86 and 2011, workplace shootings happened roughly twice per year with an average of 1.18 people killed per year. Yeah. That's crazy, okay? So... <laughs> it's almost postal. The er- Right. Gone <laughs> postal. Gone postal. The earliest known use of the phrase was in 93... By the St. Petersburg Times, which is American, not St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, Let's see. The symposium was sponsored by the U.S. Postal Service. This is a quote from it. Which has seen so many outbursts that in some circles, excessive stress is known as, quote, going postal. 35 people have been killed in 11 post office shootings since 1983. The USPS does not approve of the term going postal, (laughs) obviously, and has made some attempts to stop people from using the saying. Some postal workers, however, feel it has earned its place. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine some workers being like, well, my boss kind of sucks, so, you know, I can understand going postal. Yeah. And then it, the manager. It, as a kid growing up, like, the, the way I found out about the term going postal was from Newman of Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I understood going postal. So, in my mind, it was just, like, all postal workers were, like, mad. Just very eccentric, stressed out goofballs. 
Um, I didn't realize Postal was like really a serious thing until much later. Okay, so here's Seinfeld. <laughs> it was pretty easy to find. What do you do for a living, Newman? I'm a United States postal worker. Oh, here we go. Aren't those the guys that always go crazy and come back with a gun and shoot everybody? Sometimes. <laughs> the way he does Why that. Why is that? Because the mail never stops. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. There's never a let up. It's relentless. Every day it piles up more and more and more. You gotta get it out. But the more you get out, the more it keeps coming in. And then the barcode reader. There it is. Just take the records. They're in the bedroom. Take them. Take anything that you want. So good. <laughs> I look. Oh, what's that uh, actor's name? Uh, I don't know. I always know him as Newman. He was also in Jurassic Park and Space Jam. Yes, it is Wayne Knight. <laughs> Wayne Knight. That's it. Wayne Knight. Um, who has gotten considerably f- more fit in his older days? Good for him. He was very good at getting worked up and being angry. He was the perfect character for such a scene. Yeah, the perfect actor to play a character in that scene. Uh, so they, so George didn't say going postal, but he said, aren't <laughs> postal workers, aren't you the guys that always get all worked up and come back and kill everyone? Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> and he has this like distant look. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Like I could at any He's moment. like, I could snap. Yeah. Going postal. Uh, yeah. So it is pretty concerning. And I think most of these shooters, they're definitely white sounding names. Almost as if toxic white masculinity is a problem in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a controversial video game series called Postal. Jesus. The player takes on the role of an insane mass murderer in the first game. Oh my God. So the UPS sued the creators of the game. Running with scissors is the name of the video game. Was it company. run by Weird Al Yankovic? I know, right? The case was dismissed with prejudice in 2003. Wow. God. Naked Gun 33 and a third has a scene. Yeah. Disgruntled postal workers firing weapons in every direction. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, going postal is a thing. Isn't yeah. it? I mean, I got to ask Lauren about uh, Roger as a postal worker, her boyfriend. How they feel about this the term yeah or i feel like you know she's always made it seem like it's a pretty decent job once you get past like the initial there's like initiation period where you're basically working wherever they need you that day like Mm -hmm. roger would be filling in like oh this person's out today you do that route this person's out you do that route this time you're down you're in the office you're not outside yeah he wanted so but now he has his own route so he's he worked his way up and as Lauren says, he makes a lot more than she does, even though he uh, he didn't need a college degree to get the job. Yep. And their union is very good, yep. as opposed to us teachers, where our union is very, very uh, powerless. Yes. So, like, it sounds like once you get a couple of years in at the post office, you basically can't be fired. I suppose. So, um, before this episode comes out, I will definitely uh, ask him that question. What do you think about the phrase in... Uh, if he feels like he ever has had the desire to go postal. No, like, is his boss, do the bosses still suck there enough? And is the job grueling enough that it makes him angry? You know, it's interesting in that clip with Newman, he doesn't talk about his boss at all. He just talks about the mail being endless. Yeah, the, just the process of, you know, it, it is pretty amazing 
that you can pay, what is this stamp now, like 44 cents, something like that? I bought forever stamps a while ago. I forget the price now. Yeah, they're still under 50 cents. And people are like, oh, the postage keeps going up. But the fact <laughs> that you can send a letter, you just clip it to the box outside your house, for 50 cents, you can mail a letter across the country. Pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, and for, you know, maybe three bucks, usually when I send out, like, my starter swag packs, if anyone wants to be a patron, like, Avern here has been a patron for, like, since, like, the second month of the podcast, I feel like. It's been a long yeah. time. You were one of the first five people at least to be a patron. I could look it up, but yeah. it's been a while. And so you've gotten every piece of merch as it comes, but, like, the starter swag pack at this point only cost me, like, 350 to send out. So it's, like, an envelope with, uh, you know, if you're coming at the $2 or $5 tier, right? It's a magnet, two stickers, two buttons, uh, and, you know, just a little flat envelope out out the door to anyone, any patron in the U.S. for $3.50. Seems pretty good to me. Yes. So someone signs on for 5 bucks. That covers both what I paid to make those pieces of merch and the postage. No problem, right? Respect your postal workers, everybody. Yeah, seriously. You know, I've had a lot of cool... Postal workers in the past, like where we grew up, like we had the same guy on our, like his route. Um, he was our, I feel like for at least a decade, like for all of my youth, I remember he would like, and when we got Bart, obviously the year after the Simpsons started, our little Norfolk Terrier was named Bart, Bart Simpson. It was a pretty obvious choice and would leave treats for him, like Aww. right under the mailbox because we had it on our house. Uh, not on the street. There would be a little dog biscuit right on the ledge underneath our box. That's so cute. We, you know, tipped him at Christmas time or would give him like cookies or whatever. And our one, our, the lady that delivers our mail now, she's very friendly, always says hi. She loves the dogs. Leela loves her. Like there's, you know, there's also the cliche that like dogs want to murder the post, yeah. postman because they come to your house. Like this person comes up to your door every yeah. day. What do, uh, what does Morgan think about? Uh, the the postal carrier for your house. Our post box is right on the sidewalk, so she never has to interact with the mail person. Yeah, and is there a good window for her to look out of? Like, does no. she see the mail person? So no. yeah, so it's not a problem. Yeah, and growing up, I never stayed in a place long enough to know the mail person. Uh, we were like, because we lived in an apartments and stuff all the time, split custody, and so the mail person was always unknown to me. Sure, growing up. Yeah. Oh, we didn't mention this when we talked about the John and Juan. So what do we think Flansburg means by this? So in the comic book, it's Juan. We already said that's Juan and then became John in the song. Quote, the way this song came out, John seemed more intense. Do you think he's commenting on the fact that the majority of these postal worker shootings have been committed by white men? Yeah. And it adds some like intense reality to mm-hmm. the situation. Maybe that's the reason. So, but giving, so I guess it would have to be John. But it's funny how many songs have their first name in it. Can't Keep Johnny Down, John Lee Super Taster, John Postal. Are there any others? Uh, I can't I just, remember off the top of my head. Uh, I'm looking at the tags here. And songs there's with not John. a tag for John. If I just search John on the... Wiki. You will not. Oh, maybe under the alphabetic song list, you could see if there's John. Mm. But in the meantime, you want to talk about any of the specific lyrics? And I'll go yeah. ahead and look that up. Yeah, so song breakdown is fairly interesting because we have what I am assuming is the deep 
read my Yelp review kind of voice is John, who is disavowing his violent tendencies or violent past, but he is still kind of aggressive online supposedly he's just listening online he's extremely online part of 4chan and uh, right he's definitely a channer the bad subreddits yeah he's fully committed to QAnon conspiracies oh my god um you know he supposedly just relaxes with his wife and his friends but his this this person who's either on his route or is his neighbor uh knows there's something deep in there still going on it's like you know where i live I'm afraid of what you can do. You know, I try to communicate with you and you will not. Like, there's something you're repressing. And then we have this chorus where it's just, yeah, we can talk about the construction of the song in a bit. But yeah, chorus, question mark. <laughs> where I, it feels like the person on the mail route is imagining what John Postal is going through, what John Postal dreams of what he experiences and it's actually a really almost compassionate look into this character's mind he has these like tendencies where he's you know being a dick online or something but then he also is struggling with mental illness and he has these dreams that are really intense and drive him crazy and he has a hard time keeping track of what his reality is it seems like a a more compassionate look than like this guy's just got a gun. He's going to shoot fucking everybody. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's more depth there. I think what's curious is that. So it it seems to us that David Kyle's came up with his own version of the characters. The Johns came up with their own version of characters. They didn't really talk about it past the name. It seems like though, that there's a mention of violence by the Johns and obviously there's beating up of the guards in here. Yeah. But there's no guns involved with either the song right. or the comic. Like it seems like I don't know, maybe it'd be a little too close to home with the maybe they didn't want to directly I mean, John Postal, Juan Postal, Gone Postal obviously is intentional, but maybe it will be a little too realistic to have this guy grab a guard's gun and just shoot all yeah. of them. And it doesn't really make you seem like a superhero. Like, other than the Punisher, who isn't technically a, have superpowers, they're having, having a gun as a superhero makes feels, you not a super. It also just feels like a lazy plot device, having right. a gun. I mean, the Punisher was my fucking favorite. And I hate, sorry. That it's been, <laughs> I hate that it's been claimed by all these right-wing gun nuts. But the creator of uh, Punisher has come out and said, like, if you're using my the skull design with a blue stripe on it or like an AR-15 underneath a decal in your pickup truck, that is not what the Punisher is about. Yeah. I do not, you know, I am not any part of that. I do not agree with any of that. He has said that, well, the Punisher, basically, it's like a, re- you know, it's a revenge story. Like so many, like Batman, right? Batman's parents were killed. Frank Castle, his wife and kids were killed. Hmm. So he... It's like a Dexter type thing too, right? He's killing the killers, right? Yeah. And he's a vet, he's a vet, uh, you know a veteran of uh, I think Vietnam when he was first created. He was a Vietnam vet. I have Punisher number one. It's only worth like ninety dollars, but I do have it. I still have it. I have all my Punishers. I subscribe to all three Punisher comics. 
which my parents, who did not let me have toy guns for the longest time, mm-hmm. by the time they let me have them, the uh, guns had to have like a bright color on them. Yeah, the orange tip. After some kids got shot. Yep. Yeah. But I would just go to my friend's house. They had very realistic Uzis and shit that were just all black. Oh, boy. Um, but yeah, but my parents didn't seem to care about... I mean, they knew I wasn't a violent kid. They are of the reasonable-minded people that realize that like violent video games... Violent books, violent movies, do not by themselves make Create someone the problem. Shoot, shoot something up, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's escapism. It's not like I used to draw comics where I had a comic series that was all it was. It was all humorous, but it was called Violence Comics. Mm-hmm. I still have some of them. My mom saved them. My mom thought they were hilarious. But there were ones where, like, it wasn't a school shooting. It was, like, I think, you know, the school. My, I hated middle school. You know, Don't we a, all? It's a rough time. Yeah. But the school gets nuked at one point. Nice. And I think the comic, it was clear that, like, it was, school was out. It was just destroying the building, essentially. So no one would ever have right. to go back. Exactly. Uh, so I want to, uh, we, we talked about, we'll, we'll talk about our cover in a second, but I, I joked about dropping in a clip of like the Hot Five, which was Louis Armstrong's first jazz combo that he he was the band leader for, dropping like a clip in after <laughs> he talks about relaxing with my wife and my friends and play the soothing music of New Orleans brass bands. Just a... Would you say New Orleans brass band music is soothing? No. However, I'm not sure if you're aware of like the the early early starts of Dixieland jazz. There would be brass bands that would play. Um, so basically, there's it's almost like an like a parade when someone would die. They would be carrying the casket to the cemetery, and there would be a band accompanying them, marching along a mm. brass band playing kind of somber music. Oh. And that would be of a perhaps soothing, though usually probably like a minor key kind of thing. Yeah. Somber. But then after the service, it became a celebration of the person's life. And Dixieland Jazz was born out of celebratory post-funeral, post-burial music. You know, that adds so much depth to that intro, thinking about that's the music he's listening to. It was created around around death. But it was a joyous celebration of the person's life. Somber music, brass music on the way to the funeral, and celebratory music. I mean, it just goes to show you, like, black people know how to get it done. Like, I always talked about, like, I hated going to church. I would see a movie where it's, like, a black Baptist church, and the the choir's just going nuts. It's just tambourine. Yeah. Everyone's swaying, clapping. Everyone's standing up, singing along. I'm like... I want to go to that church. And my mom's like, you I don't can't. Th- I think that would be kind of weird that we <laughs> That would be that bad. <laughs> yeah, and I was raised Catholic too. Our singing, oh, man. <laughs> I mean, just very somber organ music. I yeah. mean, you could call that some Bach stuff. That's soothing. But a New Orleans brass band, I mean, I'm soothed by Dixieland jazz, but it's overall pretty up-tempo and makes you want to dance. So yeah. it is an odd phrase. I don't know if... Flansburg knows that that's the birth of jazz. He probably does. He probably does. He probably does. He loves old music. But from most people hearing it, they'd be like, 
that's a weird music to call soothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it shows again that the character is still kind of off kilter. Mm-hmm. If he thinks something like that is soothing. Play the soothing music of New Black Orleans. Flag. Yeah, Keith Morris <laughs> Black Flag. <laughs> Coheed and Cambria. Yeah. <laughs> Black thing of like when I have bad days at work, I'll listen to like the first seven inch Black Flag put out with nervous breakdown on it. I'm about to have a nervous breakdown. My head really hurts, right? Yeah. <laughs> it basically is like talking about like don't push me, dude, because uh you're gonna get punched. I, I would just usually listen to you in utero over and oh, over nice. and over again when oh. I was pissed. So come back as fire to burn all the liars, leave our blanket of ass When I was first learning GarageBand, I made a mashup of Pixies, Vaseline's, and In Utero. Beautiful. Those three bands that were kind of influencing uh, each other and bands that influenced Nirvana. Mm-hmm. And the best I could do, I wasn't finding isolated tracks, but it started out, I made a beat, I made a loop using the Scentless Apprentice drum beat. Right? Boom, boom, bra, bra, boom, boom, bra, boom. And I looped that. Yeah. And then over that, I took the beginnings and ends, any guitar noise, because like most of the tracks in In Utero end with some sort of guitar feedback or something like that. Yeah. So I built the song around that. There was some like funny, like Frank Blackism vocalisms and uh, a little bit of some of the dirtier Vaseline's tracks. I should dig that up. I do have it. I'll, I'll, I'll find it for you. Drop it doesn't a matter clip. for this, but um, okay, I'll drop it in here. Thank you. Moderate rock.
stop. Thank you for bringing up the Pixies, though, because I, okay. this song does remind me of the Pixies. Musically? Yeah. Yes. And okay. like for our cover, the instead of what we did, my backup idea was to do it just more Pixies-ish and mm. just turn it up. Yeah, we talked about going more intense. Yeah. And then... I think it's the surf rock thing that reminds me of the Pixies. It's, okay. It's kind of got like wave of mutilation, sure. here comes your man kind of vibe. two versions i mean i'm down <laughs> and then for the next compilation that comes along we'll do the other which i haven't officially announced but we'll drop is, it this is a little teaser for it it could be one track that has both just attached to each other that'd be so it's fun. like a six minute cover yeah i th- i think the the the, the change came because we had just barely started talking about it, but the change came when I went to Spain, bought a nylon string acoustic, and started like learning all these Sufjan Stevens and Elliott Smith yeah. songs. I'm like, let's make it quieter. So yeah, you're going to be hearing that in a minute. It's folks. great. Uh, first, though, I want to talk about uh, the special D, which you dug up the meaning <laughs> to. So th- this is for me, fancy this special D. It's So we were joking, like, the D as in the dick. The D. The special dick. However... It's special delivery. That's all yeah. it is. Yeah. And I found out about it because I was like searching specialty. What the fuck does this mean? Because I don't know what this means. And then I found like this DJ named specialty, which was super annoying. And yeah. then like I did more Google refining and I found this postage stamp. <laughs> May cartoon caption winner has Elvis crying the specialty blues. Also, I want to point out the name of this website. Lynn's Stamp News. Beautiful. <laughs> L-I-N-N. S.com. There's always so, one. Yeah, so we got Elvis here. Looking real pouty. Um, yeah, I guess you'll have to send me express mail as there's no more Special D. Because didn't, there's like a compilation album of Elvis called Special Delivery or something like that. Let's find out. You know, he's got Return to Sender and stuff, so there's Great obviously song. that. Yeah, okay, It's a. It's a. it was the name of a bootleg CD, I guess. Dun, Elvis dun, dun. Special Delivery. Oh, it's also a collector's box. Did it get the official treatment? Elvis Special Delivery, the ultimate Elvis collector's box. 177. Yeah. 99. Yeah, 178 bucks. You can get it on Amazon. It is... Well, there's not very much information here. Yeah. So is this a boot... You know, Amazon wouldn't sell a bootleg. Maybe it got the the thumbs up from someone at some point. (laughs) I mean, because it doesn't even say like what... Oh, wait, here we go. Only a thousand uh, copies of this. Thirteen previously unreleased studio outtakes. Yeah, okay. I feel like this should be on eBay and not on Amazon. Right. Features a sixty-page Elvis and Priscilla wedding album in it. Good a- God! An incredible fame and fortune CD. Thirteen previously unreleased tracks. Special moments DVD. Deluxe photo postcards and Elvis sticker. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that long audio-wise. So I think it's at fifty minutes, but. Pretty cool. So special delivery. So yeah. Yeah. Return to sender. Address unknown. Great. I gave a letter to the postman. He put it in his sack. Bright and early next morning, he brought my letter back. She wrote upon it. Return to sender. Address unknown. No. 
such number No such song Great song. So special D, special delivery. Yeah. You cracked the case. I Yeah, because I was like, it cannot, he cannot be singing about dicks right now. There is something no. else going on here. And <laughs> and then I was trying to find it again this morning before you came over. Yeah. And kept finding that DJ and other stuff. So annoying. Right. Um, so, yeah, fancy this, special D, this is for me, fancy that, freaky you. Yeah. You're yeah. staring so loud is such a good line. Yeah, so good. Yeah, just like the imagery of that it's like, because yeah, first pass you're like that doesn't make sense. Second like, pass you're like, Flansburg cool. has so many underrated, incredible lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people talk a lot about Linnell's incredible lyrics, and they are incredible. But John Flansburg has, like, especially on book, I think of "Quit mm. the Circus" as one of those songs that just is poetically just fascinating to me. But anyway, yeah. that's that's a yeah. different conversation. We should talk about yeah. the music of this song. Sure. It the key, who knows. Yeah, this will kind of be intermingled with our talk of our cover, but I forgot I did find one cover. Oh. And guess who? It's guest host. Guest host. Yellowitz. So we'll play that too. As of this recording, the day before, what the hell is the date? So July 30th, it's July 31st. On July 30th, Dana Williams came Drove 90 minutes from Terre Haute, Indiana to Lafayette. And you flew here on Friday the 29th. And we hit the studio. Yes. Our underground studios right where we are right now. And started recording a cover. We were messing around, just kind of jamming on it, trying to figure out how to do it. I would convinced uh, you all to go, to go soft again, which is against my natural Usual. impulses yeah. to go punk on everything. Or Jesus and Mary Jane, everything. <laughs> I wanted an excuse to use my new Spanish guitar. And it one. sounds, so, the, the warmth of that guitar is so good. Yeah. It's like velvet. So you did a little bit of engineering for me. You you sat I at pushed the computer. Record. You pushed record <laughs> and then stopped it. And I was in the booth because I have a vocal booth, isolation booth, amp vault yeah. kind of padded cell. And uh, ran the mics into it. And I set the basic track. We found our Excuse me, the root beer's getting to me. Triple X, Lafayette made root beer. I was all night the sons of triple X, they were talking about So we found our BPM, we settled on 80, right? Yeah. Yeah. It 80- was originally 83, what we were thinking, but then you're like, I can't do odd number BPM. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. I don't know. I always do even number BPM, and no one can tell the difference between like 82 and 83. Correct. But yeah, we went down to 80. The original is actually much, much faster. Better. But we had slowed down. You can go on YouTube, folks, and without changing the pitch of a song, in the settings, you can put it at slower speeds. Like, on a podcast, it makes a voice sound really weird, but you can. we slowed down John Postal to 0.75, and we're practicing it along with that to get used to a slow tempo. Then I tapped that out on the tap tempo feature of Ableton. It came out at 83 point something. Yeah. We ended up settling on 80. So I went in the booth and recorded a little finger-picking through the chord progression, which is, is fucked up, and we had de- <laughs> been debating, we we were debating chords. still as we were recording some of the some of the chords, especially that like that F sharp minor. Yeah, well, it starts and, out. Oh, and in the, the key B of D. minor. So yeah. the intro is definitely in the key of D. D E minor G A. Yeah. D E minor G A. But then it goes to an F sharp minor. Okay, still in the key of D, and then a B minor. But then it. Yeah. Goes off the rails. Then it goes into that, yeah. 
G sharp diminished. We got the E G sharp. E's on uh, top, I think. And you were playing the F sharps as F sharp diminished, right? Yeah, not F sharp minor. Yeah, yeah, because there's even a little note at the top. The person that tabbed this on the wiki didn't take credit, but it says, <laughs> "I love the way it starts." Listen, <laughs> colon. We're just going to play all these diminished chords as triads, okay? Double question mark. They're mostly just rootless seven chords anyway. So, but for your F sharp, you you were doing... Right? Yeah. Yeah, so... It sounds like... Well, for people who don't know, uh, the difference between an F sharp minor and an F sharp major is just the fifth. So where, where my thumb is at, I'm playing with my right hand. So instead of... It is... Yeah, you, you got drop that, that suspenseful. High yeah, Burr. and we talked about a uh, a tritone. This, <laughs> the uh, devil's interval. Yeah, the devil's interval. You were not allowed to play that back in the uh, very churchy days of Bach. Too scandalous. Such. Too scandalous. The weirdest part for me, and we were debating this B minor G sharp diminished. I was I, there's a G sharp in the bass, but we were debating whether it even really was a G minor diminished. So I was just playing it as a uh, or G sharp diminished. I was playing it as a G sharp power chord to just not even have to worry about it. But really, I should have dropped the fifth if it was whatever. Yeah. So were you playing those as diminished? Yeah. Yeah. So as long, I guess as long as one of us. But it adds even more <laughs> crunchiness if I'm playing the fifth and you're playing the dropped fifth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. And then we got some G sharps with an E in the bass. And, and then it settles into almost the key of G. Yeah. Yeah, and it like it just, and this is the John Postal hands on the wheel, and part. It's, it's just like complete clear chords at that point. It's like G A and then B minor, which is weird, but it's still pretty easily in comprehensible in this stream. And then E flat diminished, and you're just like, what the fuck is that? This? Is not in the key of G. No, that is not in any of the previous keys of this <laughs> song. And then in the the other uh, chorus, it's uh, like a C sharp diminished, right? At the very end, just, right before the outro, yeah. where it goes, where it settles back, and so it starts out in the key of D, ends in the key of D. Just cause. But the chorus is John Postal out in the road. John Postal stands in the rain. Yeah, G major, A major, B minor, fine. E flat diminished. Okay. God. And then G A B minor, and then C sharp diminished. The only C sharp in the entire, entire song. song. <laughs> Just happens right before the outro. Like, why? I don't know. Like, I can't dream up chord progressions like this because my brain just doesn't naturally move to a weird chord. My brain is so fixed in, like, standard rock. And most pretty-sounding classical music, you're going circle of fifths, you're going to a chord that makes sense, or you're doing an intentional key change, not just, like, throwing a weird chord and then back. I mean, even I mean, I guess you could say, you know what? Here's how it kind of makes sense. It's just dawned on me looking over at the piano to my left. Yeah. C sharp is leading it back into D because that's the seventh of the D scale. That makes sense. Right? So you got you end on and then back to the key of D. That makes sense. So it's a what you'd call a leading tone. Yes. So the C sharp diminished does push it back into D. So Flans. Genius man. Genius. So going from the key of G to the key of D, he uses a C sharp diminished chord to get there, which is still fucked up but especially on guitar yeah i didn't like it i wasn't a fan no (laughs) i need a power chord it's definitely built around a keyboard i i just want to shout out dana for just picking this up immediately on violin just absolutely shredding it and you will hear yeah and i'll I'll play ours first and then we can talk about jules that would make sense so 
you'll hear Dana's violining, and I still, at the point of us talking about it right now, I still need to edit through, go through her takes. But she was improvising parts in the booth over top of, we had recorded my guitar, you had recorded your piano. Yeah. Bizarre chord progression, changes keys a bunch, changes keys a bunch, really hard, and then these weird chords. Improvising over this is a bitch. And she did great. Uh, and then when she go back and do a harmony line, she was really nailing a lot of the harmonies, but then there were other parts where she was like, it would go to a weird chord, she'd be like, let's try this. Ah, fuck, and then she'd just change it. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, this is like this is like jazz progression level. This is like, you know, Coltrane-style chord progressions where you're like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, improvising over it, hard. That's yeah. why people hear crazy sax solos in, in jazz. And they're like, it just sounds like they're playing whatever. They're not. Yeah. But the chord changes underneath are forcing the lead, you know, the soloist to go in weird directions. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and drop in our cover. At this point, we know basically what it sounds like, but we have not recorded the vocals yet and edited takes. But let's just pretend it's came out amazing, which... We're at like 80% of the way there, I think. Yeah. Just vocals left, and we'll have Dana mail some in too. So here it is. It's the Purple Pansies featuring guest violinist and vocalist Dana Williamson. Thank you. 
listen to guest, guest host, host Joel Yellowitz. Here it is. Read my old review of Rutgers Island. You know I withdrew from my life of violence. Now I can relax with my wife and my friend And play the soothing music of New Orleans brass bands Do I know where I live? Well, so do you, so do you Won't say what I fear What could you do, you might do Don't apologize, cause you're under a lid You don't meet my gaze, cause you keep your gaze hid This is for me Fancy this, special D, this is for me Fancy that, freaky you John Postal hands on the wheel John Postal stays in his lane John Postal lost in the beams John Postal thinks it's a shame John Postal pushed past the brink John Postal maps out a screed John Postal does not agree John Postal buries the lead So it's time to score this song and get to the airport. Uh, so, yes, what yes. What do you think? Um, I honestly think this is a ten. Nice. Yeah. yeah, I know you're very stingy with your tens. That's fine. What I really love about it is its complexity. Mm. It, it's like strange character development. It's got weird voices, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. It's flans, wild and out. What do you think? I would have said that I thought Chip the Chip was a better song, and it is like really a catchier song, but I gave it a 6.9 when I talked to Jordan, and I gave Sci-Fly a 6.5. I think after learning how to play this song and talking about it just now, I think it's better than both of those songs, which I think a lot of people would disagree, but I'm going to go 7.3, so... That's not bad. Uh, yeah, I think this is my... It might be my... <laughs> might be my highest rated escape, escape team. team song. But I think when I do Jackie the Clipper, that one, I can't resist Jackie the Clipper. That song's badass. So um, you got a new Waves Breaking episode coming out sometime soon? I do, yes. Um, I have to send the interview questions while I'm on the plane back home. Um, and I'm going to do the interview tomorrow. It's going to, it'll drop probably in August sometime. Everyone should go back and listen to all the past episodes of Waves Breaking found on all the podcast platforms. <laughs> Poetry pod. 
Yeah, if you want to get a lot classier, then uh, just all the blatherings on this podcast. It's not classy. Oh, it's classy. <laughs> well, it's a lot deeper content. I mean, not that there aren't fun. I've heard a lot of funny conversations. Yeah. Like about AI art and stuff like that that, that you've talked about with guests and like stuff regarding like the punk scene and yeah you know riot girl stuff and all that and uh it's uh it's a good listen so people go find it and there will be a new episode at some point in the near future i mean perhaps by the time this episode comes out it'll be close to coming out yeah people go find it all right and you all know where to find this might be a podcast uh leave me voicemails 224-801-2930 talk about uh, the times where you felt like going post <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully didn't don't yeah. tell us about your mass murders, but please maybe don't. Bad we'll day at work. We've all mandated reporter over here. We've all dreamed about killing our bosses. You know that. We don't do it, but we've dreamed about it. <laughs> I don't anyway. know. T- speak for yourself, Greg. <laughs> well, you work from home. Yeah, but I've had some shit jobs. Yeah, I have had some yeah. shit jobs. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. And Bye. That's it. Thanks for visiting. Oh, thanks for having me. Flying here. Recording in person, an episode and a song. It's been awesome. Yes, it has. Thanks, Greg. All right.